Well, you know, Tom Hanks is perhaps the most celebrated actor of our generation. With more than 90 stage and screen roles to his credit, including two Academy Awards, he is the fourth highest all-time box office star in North America. Worldwide, his films have grossed $9.8 billion. He's sometimes called the modern Jimmy Stewart. There's even an asteroid named after him. He's a noted philanthropist and was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama in 2016. And yet, this widely admired, greatly accomplished actor revealed in a 2016 interview that he still finds himself doubting his own abilities. He explained, no matter what we've done, there comes a point where you think, how did I get here? When are they going to discover that I am, in fact, a fraud and take everything away from me? Well, in 1978, two clinical psychologists coined the term imposter syndrome to describe experiences like that of Tom Hanks. And they say that nearly 70% of the population have had similar thoughts and that the fear of being exposed as incompetent is actually what drives a great deal of perfectionism and workaholism in our culture. Well, I wonder, at the beginning of this academic term, how many secretly feel that they are here at Wycliffe College under false pretenses? The syndrome is supposed to afflict doctoral students in particular. <laughs> I remember going up to Cambridge, fearful that I did not have the intellectual capabilities for the work there, especially with uh, hanging around with students who were half my age and seemed twice as smart. When after four years, my supervisor told me that my dissertation was ready for submission, I quietly wondered if he'd actually really read it. <laughs> and then, when the thesis was passed my, by my examiners, I had this irrational suspicion that they'd been overwhelmed by feelings of pity for this poor Canadian priest. <laughs> of course, the private belief that at some level, we're always bluffing never goes away entirely. The celebrated American poet and author, the late Maya Angelou, said, I have written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. Well, the psychology of the imposter syndrome is doubtless complicated, but in some part, it is rooted in a conviction that we are not entirely worthy not worthy of the accomplishments that we have achieved or the recognition that we have received or the benefits that we have gained. And while some of us may not find the feelings of phoniness especially debilitating, even we who are most proud of our success should be very alarmed if someone actually were to develop a you-get-what-you-deserve meter, for we would have to admit that the economy of our world is not based on performance and merit as those who have been favored or discriminated against on account of gender or race or pedigree can testify. You see, none of us is entirely who we pretend to be. And this makes us vulnerable to discouragement, to fear, and to doubt. 
even if we are followers of Jesus Christ. However, in our scripture reading for today, in the beautifully, uh, beautiful chapter of Romans chapter 8, St. Paul has a word for us. It is a word to the doubter. It is a word to the fearful. It is a word to the timid. It is a word to the imposter. It is a word to every new and returning student at Wycliffe College. It is a word I trust both to you and to me. So here's the setup. In the first half of the letter to the Romans, St. Paul has been eager to explain what the good news of Jesus Christ is all about. He describes how nobody lives up to their own standards of goodness, let alone the righteousness of God, and how because of this, we all stand guilty and without excuse. But then God provides a remedy. Jesus, God's Son, came into the world to take our guilt upon himself. And now God offers forgiveness and peace to all who believe, he says in chapter 3 and verse 22. This should bring great comfort. And yet, a moral struggle still exists within us. Out of gratitude, at least, our lives should now reflect God's holiness. And Paul reminds us that he gives us, God gives us his spirit, his spirit of holiness, his Holy Spirit, to invigorate us and to produce in us a life of integrity. But we continue to fail, and the imposter lurks. We call ourselves Christians, but in saying this, our convictions can waver. Well, in the nine verses at the end of our reading, St. Paul asks five questions. And if we are honest with ourselves, the answer to these questions are unsettling. First, he asks, who is against us? Well, the answer here is that there are people who do not like us. Indeed, sometimes we don't blame them because there are moments when we do not like us. Who is against us? The truth is that sometimes we are against ourselves. As people often say, we are our own worst enemies. Secondly, he asks, what will God withhold from us? Well, we long for peace and contentment, but deep down we are troubled and anxious. Is it possible that God, who is just and all-knowing, and before whom the dark secrets of our hearts lie open, is it possible that he has withheld what we desire and need? It is because we are undeserving, we ask, that we lack joy in our lives. Thirdly, Paul asks, who will accuse us? Who will bring a charge against us? Again, there are likely many the one we neglected to acknowledge and whom we made feel unimportant, the one we ridiculed or slandered, the one whose trust we betrayed, the one whose need we ignored. Indeed, we can even accuse ourselves for not being a better friend or colleague or parent or spouse. Well, his next question is like the last. Who condemns us? He asks, who will point the finger at us and pronounce judgment? Once again, there are many candidates, critics, detractors, those whom we have wronged. Sometimes even our own hearts condemn us. And 
Paul asks finally, what will separate us from Christ's love? What will drive a wedge between us and him? And here Paul does the favor of listing the conspirators. Affliction, he says, hardship, persecution, hunger, nakedness, danger, and sword. These things can be either received as an indication that we've fallen out of Christ's favor or cause us to doubt his love. And so you can see how in each of these questions there's room for confusion and disquiet. In the face of our fears and apprehensions and in light of the contradictions in our lives, how can we be certain that God loves us? How can we know with confidence that the salvation St. Paul has spent the first half of his letter laying out includes us? Is it possible that we are not true Christians at all, but just posers? Well, this is part of the beauty of this passage. For the answers to these questions are actually embedded in the questions themselves, and Paul's rhetoric is powerful. For take a look at how these questions are actually framed. Who is against us? No one, exclaims Paul, for God is on our side. What will God withhold from us? Nothing. God gave us the most valuable thing in the world, his one and only son. How could he now hold anything else back? Who will bring a charge against us? No one. In Christ, we've already appeared before the divine judge, and he has acquitted us. Who then condemns us? No one. For Christ has rescued us from condemnation by his death on the cross. And not just by his death, but by his resurrection, his ascension, and his continual prayer on our behalf. Finally, what will separate us from Christ's love? Nothing. All of life's afflictions and adversaries have been overcome in Christ. And so, so we too share in his victory. My friends, it is here that we find an important key affecting the imposter syndrome. You see, the confidence we have in our identity as Christians, and even the confidence we display in our engagement with the world, is not ultimately rooted in ourselves. The Christian life is not a matter of us finding the truth, uh, 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 finding within ourselves courage or endurance or determination. It's not even about the strength of our faith in Christ. It is rather about his hold on us. As John Stott has written, our confidence is not in our love for him, which is frail, fickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. St. Paul's therapy for what the for the imposter syndrome is what we might call the honesty syndrome or the reality syndrome. And it is not based on our feelings of guilt or inferiority, but upon the greater truth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. In ourselves, we contend with the difference between how others perceive us and our true selves. But in Christ, we affirm that these differences and perceptions have no meaningful claim on our lives. For God's love for us, like that of a parent, 
is independent of our consistency or attractiveness or sense of self-worth. And it is with this that I wish to conclude. When I was beginning my pastoral ministry, I spent time each week calling on parishioners in hospital. And the visits were generally social, and for the most part, those I visited were grateful for my company. But occasionally, there would be an awkwardness or embarrassment in our encounter that made conversation difficult. And in these situations, I defaulted to saying a quick prayer, and then I left. But you know, every time I left, I did go away feeling a little bit like an imposter. So as I wrestled with these feelings of inadequacy, it came to me that I did not actually seek this pastoral vocation, but that I was convinced God had sought me. And moreover, I knew that it's often in our weakness that God uses us most powerfully. And so grounded in the truth that in Christ we are more than conquerors, I resolved not to let such pastoral moments pass. And now when the visits get awkward, I will channel my inner anxiousness into the question, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God? It's a question that redirects my thoughts, and frequently as I ask this question to those I'm visiting, it leads to a meaningful pastoral encounter. Well, this is a pastoral encounter, too. So let me ask you, are you at peace with God? Are you worried that the inconsistencies in your life will disqualify you from a relationship with him? Are you concerned about the consequences of your hypocrisy? If so, you must hear again the story of your salvation. It's a story that we are going to reenact in a moment in this Eucharist. And as you come forward with empty hands, you will, be, will find within your hands the emblem, the promise of your salvation. And you can embrace those elements boldly in the knowledge that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.